Press Radio Station. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duvernay, your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and at Montecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you doing today? Well, now that the smoke is cleared out, my house is being painted, so I'm still choking. Well, hopefully there'll be relief in your future. Right. So at least you'll get a respite during our show, right? Right. So we have, we're thrilled to have with us Jerry Lucira, who is the founder and owner of CFO Solutions. Jerry, thanks so much for being here with us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So the, the first article we have today is from today's Washington Post, and it's really uh, quite interesting. It's called Urban Myths About Economics Have Not Have Taken Root and the Cost is High. And it begins by saying Paul McCartney is dead. The feds want to tax emails to prop up the U.S. Postal Service. The moon landings were faked. Urban myths like these are mostly entertaining and annoying, but they don't really do any harm. However, economic uh, urban myths can. And what he cites here is, you know, some that uh, some of them, I, I, one of them, I'm not going to tell you which one I actually still believed. Uh, and the first one he points out is small businesses are the font of job creation. And now we've heard this uh, for both parties over and over again about how we have to help small businesses. And the author of this article says the myth originated in 1979 research paper by an MIT professor who purported to show that between 69 and 76, two-thirds of jobs were created by small businesses. And this basically still is in the public discourse and people believe it. However, after scrutinizing his analysis, economists have found that he confused small establishments with small firms. For example, he included Citibank branches, each one of them as a small business. And as a result, if you do it the right way is whatever that means, the, the adjustments they made, it's really not uh, small businesses, but it's really new businesses that uh, make up a good portion of new jobs. The second uh, myth, if you will, is technology is destroying jobs. Oxford, uh, two professors from Oxford in 2013 did a study predicting 47% of US jobs will be eliminated by technology over the next 20 years. And what uh, they did is they made so many mistakes that even they have re rejected their, uh, their thesis. And yet there's this whole view that technology is bad and therefore we have to break up some of the big companies because it's hurting job growth. The other one, which I thought was the most interesting is that top earners are making off with all the income gains. And this was uh, 
basically made into a clear, everyone believed this story, when Thomas Piketty uh, wrote a landmark study in 2003. He was on all kinds of TV talking about income equality in the United States between 1913 and 1998. And he found that 10% of the earners took away 91% of, of income between 79 and 2002. But the methodology was so flawed that even Pinkety now has reached a different conclusion. And the difference between what he said and what uh, it, he now believes is a 41% difference. So what's interesting is it, the, the, the whole idea of we all know something, but we don't really know something is really kind of uh, 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 scary in, in a way. Yeah, it's definitely eye-opening because when you look at that, that that's across the board, people believe these myths, uh, you know, not only in economics, but in their lives. And then you have these um, conspiracy theorists. And that's basically how we end up down a rabbit hole. Yeah, and that's and that was sort of this, and that was sort of the story with the New England Patriots. Uh, everyone thought they would always win, Diane. Hey, I don't always think that you want to know why because I grew up with them not winning. I was a true fan. They didn't start winning until you know I was an adult. Yeah, Jerry, I interrupted you. Weekends of losing. Jerry, uh, I'm, I'm curious. Did you guys know about those three things that those three myths? No, I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I still, unless you said that, I would think that small businesses do make up a, yeah. a majority of you know. Uh, well, because employment. I because I said it, it must be true. <laughs> well, you didn't but, get it from the Internet, did you? No, I got it from the t today's Washington <laughs> Post. So you can actually verify it's a long article, which I didn't go into the whole article, but take a look at it in today's and you, Washington and you said Post. new businesses. So not small business, but new. Right. And also the mythology, he, the methodology he used um, it, it was he, he, he got government statistics. And so the example with Citibank is uh he took each branch as the increased branches. Yeah. He thought of that as a small business because it only had like seven employees in a branch, which is crazy. You know, Citibank was growing during that period dramatically all over the world, all over the country. The next Very article, the, the next article is called The Great American Retirement Gamble. And it is in this weekend's uh, uh, Wall Street Journal. And it talks about the pension manager of the Ohio School Pension Fund, uh, which has 80,000 retired uh, employees. And as the uh, pension manager says, the bucket is leaking. And that is a, a fact that they're so far underwater that he was forced to do the following. He was forced to go from a uh, alternate investment percentage of his portfolio of about 8% to 32% today. And that's uh, compared to 24% for all public pension funds. And his view, and he did well this year because he was in a, in a place that number one was did better than historical returns, uh, but also, uh, and this is a beef I have with private equity, is a lot of the private equity returns are marked to market based upon estimates that the port, that the, the company puts together. It's not like the stock market that is a real uh, uh, the, that the marks are actually verifiable. There's no but outside it, judgment of it. You know what right. I mean? No, um, it's not verified. Right. So the scary thing is, uh, and you know, he said he's a little bit frightened by it. But since he did so well this year, they're going to continue to do it. And therefore, they're saying we need to take more risk because 
Uh, if not, we're not going to we're going to be faced with being unable to pay our pensioners. And you know, the scary part about that is pension funds shouldn't be taking any risk that is uh, going to risk the principal. But they were so underfunded. And they had made interest. They had made assumptions as to stock market growth for years that were not uh, that were much too optimistic. That now they're fighting bad performance by taking on more risk. Well, you know, and that's the same for personal finances. If you can afford it, you don't have to take on risk. Oftentimes, the people who take on risk is because they're trying to make up for a deficit of some sort, um, which is not the best place to be in. Because, you know, the market's going to give returns. Sometimes they're outsized returns to the upside, but sometimes they're outside returns to the downside as well. Um, and the next article is, uh, I think it's something we've talked about every year around this time. And it was in uh, the Wall Street Journal this weekend, and it's worth going over again. And that is the fact that mutual funds uh, report their capital gains at a date certain, usually at the end of the year. And if you buy a mutual fund that has a lot of capital gains in any particular year, and the article is saying that a lot of mutual funds are going to have big capital gains this year, all of the capital gains goes to the holder of the shares uh, on that settlement date. So uh, if you buy, let's say a particular mutual fund has an ex-dividend day of, of December 22nd. If you buy on the 21st, you've holded for one day and you're going to pay the capital gains for the entire year. So yeah. just- So what's, what you want to do is you want to actually estimate how much gain you actually have made in the fund. And if it's less than the amount of gain that you're going to be distributed to you, then you should probably sell it and hold it, uh, be out of that fund for 30 days, buy something else that's like, and then buy it back to avoid that excess capital gain. Absolutely. And the last article I thought was really interesting. Um, it's um, about inflation. And when we talk about inflation, you know, we talk about prices going up. And Neil Irwin, who I think is a great columnist, the New York Times, wrote this article this weekend that says you need to look at something else when you look at inflation. You need to look at the product itself. So for example, let's assume that um, a hotel has the same rate today as it had a year ago, but they don't have cleaning services and they don't have room service. Uh, that's inflation because for the same price, you're getting less quality. And there has been... Um, some discussion about how to put this into the various indexes, but it's very hard to do because you can make a case that uh, if a particular piece of machinery is not as good a quality, you can calculate the, in a sense, the hidden inflation. But with services, it's very difficult. And what he's concluding is today we are seeing a tremendous, not tremendous, he's, I don't remember the word he used, the adjective he used, but we're seeing uh, many, many quality changes. Uh, for example, at restaurants, there's less service because they can't hire employees. So your service has gone down. The quality of the food may have gone down, but the prices are up 2%. Maybe it's really up 5% or 6% when you adjust for quality. However, I think right now what we're seeing is less of inflation and more of supply chain disruption. So when you look at the difference between the two, prices have been rising through the pandemic because of the supply chain disruption. So you haven't been able to get the same products. Consequently, the prices have gone up just through supply and demand. I think we're going to start seeing some inflation 
as you know, the Fed has, uh, I think is the Fed analysis is, is the most, uh, you know, reflective of what's going on or most dynamic. And they're saying that they're starting to see some inflation take hold. But when you look at long-term trend lines of what inflation has been since the early to mid 80s, you're looking at just about 4%. So, you know, when you, when you hear on the news that Social Security is going up with a cost of living adjustment of 5.9% for 2022, you have to kind of average that with what it was last year, which was a negative 1%. Um, inflation number. So it's it's really, we're still at that same about 4% long-term inflation. It's been that way for about 50 years. And but, go, ahead. go ahead. No, what I was, I was going to say that, you know, one of the things about being old is I remember in the seventies, when I started on wall street, interest rates were 18%. And, exactly. and so, first yeah, loan, so, 20%. so, right. So, you know, when people talk about three, four percent, it doesn't scare me as much as remembering how out of control things can really get. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. I know you won't because... That's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com, or you could call us at 805-564-1290. And if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having with us today, Jerry Lucira, 
who is the owner and founder of CFO Solutions. Jerry, thanks so much for being a part of the show today. Uh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today of being a fractional CFO for startup companies, because I've got to imagine it wasn't, you didn't graduate from college and say, oh, that's what I want to do. So tell us how you, how you got interested in finance and how you decided to um, embark upon being a business owner. Okay, so how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's maybe start when you graduate, you know, when you went to college. We can go that far back. <laughs> okay, I went to Georgia Tech for mechanical engineering. So how did I end up in CFO work? Okay, um, I, I got into mechanical engineering because my father worked for RCA, if you remember what RCA was. I don't think they're still around anymore. Um, but he was a mechanic, I mean, a, um, a technician, and he said, the engineers make the big bucks. And you're good with your hands, so you should be a mechanical engineer. Okay, good. So I go to Georgia Tech, and I did not, I decided I didn't want to be an engineer for the rest of my life. It just sounded like it was too boring. So out of college, a friend and I bought a landscape business, and we doubled the size of it. We ran into some personality conflicts, so so we sold business. Um or, or we, we split it in half. Uh, I doubled the size of that business again and sold it and then moved up to Baltimore, Washington uh, to be in cellular telephones. That's back when cellular telephones first started. They were only in two markets, Chicago and Baltimore and Washington. And I was installing cellular telephones in cars. Uh, a friend of mine was selling them. I was installing them. Um, and then uh, let's see from there. I visited a friend in San Francisco, and at the time, I was looking for a new church. Um, uh, I'd started going to church, you know, and uh, it was important in my life, still is, and, and he was part of a great church. So I moved to San Francisco, became uh, the regional service manager for Celluland, which was a franchise for cellular telephones. You may not remember that. I don't know. Uh, and then I was... I was asked to move down here to help out a church that we had uh, started down in the Los Angeles area. And again, uh, I got into cellular telephones, became a regional service manager. Uh, but uh, at one point I got uh, passed over for a raise and I thought, oh, I'm not going to do this. You know, we, I can't do this um, if they're not going to you know, keep progressing. So I came up with a plan to save the company money, and I figured I want to go to them and say, "Here's how you can save money. Can I get a raise out of you know? We'll split you know 50 of the savings." So I took that plan to a friend of mine who owned a business to get input, and and uh, he saw that. I went back to the company I was working for, and I I said, "Hey, if I can show you a way to save a lot of money, can I get a raise out of that?" And the the VP who was my boss. Didn't even ask what it was. He just said, well, you should be, that's part of your job. So no, I'm not interested in that. I was like, are you kidding me? Uh, you know, he didn't even want to know what it was. Um, you know, turns out, I think he knew the owners were looking to get out of the business. So uh, it was kind of, it was kind of when cellular telephones were going away, from, were becoming disposable at that point. Uh, it did soon after that. So my friend who I went to get that advice from said, hey, my business is growing what do you think about coming in and working for me? He had a waste hauler uh, business, which delivered dumpster bins to movie studios and construction sites and location shoots. 
And so I became VP of operations and then quickly started moving into the finance. He had a, a bookkeeper working for him, but, um, but needed a lot more. So, you know, did all the, the CFO kind of stuff, like uh, finding a CPA firm, an attorney, getting insurance set up, setting up the C-Corp um, and all that sort of stuff. And that's how I got started. That was long. Well, so you, Sorry. So you've been a lot of different, um, been involved in a lot of different types of companies and you real and worked in, it sounds like you worked in sales, you worked in engineering, you worked in landscaping, you know, it, it, you, you got a taste of a lot of different businesses. But when you think about, you know, fractional CFO work, it's all very similar, regardless of the type of business that it is in terms of what you're helping with the C, you know, getting CPAs and the books all set up and making sure that they're on their financial track, right? Yep. Yes. Um, and it's fun having variety. I mean, I like variety, so it's been good for me. Now, now, so when, when you have, when you decided to start um, CFO Solutions, what are you primarily helping um, companies with? Are you doing financial modeling and cash projections? Yes, that would be correct. So yeah, those are the two fun, most fun things for me. Um, and specifically, all right, so I got advice from, you know, I, I've talked to a number of other fractional CFO guys, uh, which is really, you know, um, it's interesting. I have found none of them to be secretive at all. They've all been super helpful. Uh, you had uh, one gentleman on, on your show a while back, Paul Daniel, and he's been instrumental in, in helping me get this going. So I've figured out, I've been given, given advice, look, you should, you should find out what your uh, niche is. What are you good at? What do you want to do? And so for me, it's service businesses and software as a service. Those have been the most favorite things for the most favorite of uh, my favorite things. I, I've been in um, manufacturing, did not particularly like it. I've uh, looked into and interviewed um, with educational uh different education entities and nonprofits and neither of those and, and hospitality. So those three things uh, don't particularly interest me, although from a high level, the, the you know, the fin finances and financials will be very similar. Is, is there sort of a, if there's sort of a, a paradox in your business to, to the extent that you do a fantastic job and the company really grows, they're going to need a full-time financial guy. So in a sense, the more successful and the quicker success you are able to achieve, the, the less your, your term is going to be. Yeah, but that's fun. Then I get to train the, or help hire, train the new CFO, possibly, you know, if it's somebody coming up from within the ranks, hiring from it within or, and then it's also, it means success for me. And then I get to, you know, go um, work with another company and find more fun. So uh, our ratings are so strong now. I think Diane's going to replace me soon. Anyway, you're listening to <laughs> Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. Hospice of Santa Barbara is there to help when we're adjusting to living with a life-threatening illness, facing death, 
anticipating the death of a loved one or healing our grief after a death. Hospice of Santa Barbara can provide the emotional, social, and spiritual care needed in a supportive, compassionate environment. Hospice of Santa Barbara provides professional counseling for individuals and has many support groups and programs for adults, teens, and children. Services are free, made possible by our community's generosity and by all of the highly trained, wonderful volunteers that give her their time to help those in need. If you would like to make a donation, become a volunteer, or support the important work of Hospice of Santa Barbara, or find out more about hospice services for you or someone you love, please call 563-8820, 563-8820, or visit our website at www.hospiceofsantabarbara.org. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Stewart, a certified appraiser of fine art and antiques. Join me Fridays at 10 a.m. for the Art and Antiques Radio Show, where we'll talk with the movers and shakers of the art and antiques world. Join us Friday at 10 a.m. and 8 p.m. and Sundays at 11 a.m. for the Art and Antiques Radio Show, right here at AM 1290, the Santa Barbara News Press radio station. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And if you're just joining us, we have Jerry Lucira, who is a fractional CFO and founder of CFO Solutions with us today. So Jerry, before the break, you were talking about your niche that you really like to work with are software as service companies and software companies. What makes those um, your favorites? I guess because they're simpler. <laughs> and because I like operations, I like to get involved with the operations side of things. Um, and, and I understand them because that's where most of my experience comes from. And it's, and it's really fun to provide experience uh, at a fraction of the cost. I mean, that's the whole thing about being a fractional CFO. Um, a small company who can't afford a full-time CFO can can have that same expertise for just a fraction of the price. And I only get to see them like maybe one day a week or something, you know, that's, so I like the variety. It's, it's fun. So now do normally do your clients pay you um, by the hour or do they provide you given software and software as service or both um, types of companies that give um, ownership or, or stock options, if you will, um, as startups, do you take a do you take both as payment, or is it primarily just cash, or primarily just um, you know um, equity? Primarily cash. I've gotten equity, and it's paid off for me. Uh, but no, and then um, hourly versus flat rate. Uh, well, both. It just depends on you know if this is going to be like a short term project or if it's going to be ongoing. Uh, ideally, I I prefer having like a rhythm that I can get into and, and just have a weekly amount or a monthly amount with a fixed number of, you know, hours per week. Now, what, why, or are there, prim, are there certain reasons why companies look for a fractional CFO besides, you know, either funding because they can't afford a full-time CFO or are there other reasons why companies outsource? Um, yeah, I mean, that's the main one is because they can't afford a full-time uh, and it could be that 
they they're not really trying to grow or want a full-time CFO. I mean, they can get they can get by just fine bookkeeper who's who's competent, and then just have somebody of my experience, caliber, or what have you, come in once a month, um, oversee the finances, put together the the financial um, the financials, and then review them and take a look like how are we doing compared to plan, and talk about more high-level stuff. So, and so yeah. when. When you're looking at um, clients, is there a common mistake that um, startup businesses or software businesses make that you usually come in and say, oh, we got to fix that right away? Or is each company unique in their um, needs and and things that you need to do? Well, in general, they don't have a financial plan, the ones that I've helped. Um, I mean, okay, in general, startups fail um, 29, I had this stat, 29% of startups fail because they ran out of cash. It's the number two reason after having no market need. Uh, so, and it really comes down to, do they have a working financial roadmap? And that's, that's what I've run into is you've got a CEO who uh, has a good idea, can get things running, can, can uh, manage and oversee and do hiring and you know, do sales and marketing and kind of do everything until they get to a point where they can't do everything. And then they got to start finding a sales rep. Typically, you know, the finance and the accounting gets kind of pushed to the back when it, when it gets uh, to be too, uh, too much of a problem. <laughs> I had a, a CFO, I mean, a CEO of a, of a two-year-old startup uh, who came to me in December um, and he hadn't done his bookkeeping since, he was doing his own, he hadn't done it since March. <laughs> it's the end of the year and he's realizing, uh, I've got to do taxes. Like, oh my goodness, I am in trouble. You know, and he hired me. The the other gentleman I told you about that, you know, was running and he's kind of flying by the seat of his pants, had a pretty decent idea of where he was, but in terms of coming up with a strategy to go forward, um, didn't have that. So if you have a financial roadmap, then you can you can move along it and figure out you know, where you need to be compared to where you are, you can make adjustments and it's all that and all that. Um, but usually finances is not a strength for a CEO type of person. And it's a hassle and it's fun for me. When, when you went over your history, you didn't seem to have um, much, uh, many courses in finance or accounting. You know, uh, you were, good. how did you get up to speed in an area that wasn't part of your history? Um, yeah, I appreciate you asking. I skipped over that. Um, so once I started getting into finance and we figured out, hey, we need a plan, I think it was because we needed funding at the time, if I remember. Um, I had another friend from church. Church is a good pool of resources. Uh, he used to work for a big five uh, CPA firm, big four, whatever, one of those, Ernst & Young. Or, well, or they keep getting, it used to be the big seven, right? <laughs> they struck <laughs> over the years. <laughs> okay. And talk about, you know how old it was. So when he, he taught me how to do financial modeling, he was really good at it. And when I did my first financial modeling, it was in Lotus one, two, three. So Neil, Diane probably doesn't even know what that is. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I've heard of it. I've never used it. Well, okay. I, I have one for you. The, my first financial planning was with a pencil and paper. <laughs> I was gonna, I'm serious. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the abacus. No, no. But, you know, financial planning, I mean, financial analysis uh, was all done by hand. And, yeah. and if you were lucky, you got a calculator 
an HP calculator that that could do adding and 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 multiplication for two hundred and fifty dollars. Oh yeah, but those always work backwards. You put the equals at the front of it and something like that. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, so what I started doing since I knew I didn't know how to be a CFO was I would network and you know just find people that would be willing to help me and uh, and you know like I said about the fractional CFOs, CFOs and controllers. If they're not too busy, they're pretty um, willing to help out. So I sat down and find out, hey, what do you do to run the finances of your company? And I got together with controllers, um, you know, CFOs and VP of finances, and learned that way. I did take some accounting courses, you know, but I'm not I'm not a CPA, and I'm not even all that great at uh, like general accounting work, but. But I do know how to make a good model and do cash flow projections. And that's, you know, that's the important thing. Now, do you um, find each of your clients that you start with a financial plan or a finance or sit down and help them map out a financial roadmap? Um, probably the first thing is to just ask, you know, what is it that you want me to do or what do you need? But then, yeah, um, you know, certainly do some, um, you know, interviews of some key people to find out if, what they think that the real need is for the company, that's pretty helpful. But um, yeah, definitely look at the finances. And uh, typically I look at, at the P&L first. That's um, more where I, my expertise lies and I like to look at and work with, but you gotta be careful because on the balance sheet is where you find the mistakes. That's where they hide stuff, you know? So, and you know, customers, um, when I look at their financials and then give them some input, uh, typically, they their response is, "Yeah, I know I'm doing that wrong, but I just didn't know how to do it right. So this is where I, you know, um, put these uh, accounts or coded these entries. Uh, sometimes it's, um, yeah, I, I recognize that there's something wrong in this balance sheet, this negative balance sheet uh, amount, but I didn't know what to do with it, you know. And so we'll dig in and find out what's going on, and and then I'll take the financials, the past financials, and figure out how to project them forward, and then start putting in assumptions and dials, and start working with the CEO to um, to get it dialed in. And you know, it's been it's been pretty good. Um, generally, I've been able to predict pretty accurately what the costs are, and you know, based on based on revenues. Um, three to six months out, which has helped us in the, in the first company where we know if we're going to hit this revenue, we're going to need this many customers. We're going to have to have, we're going to have to add a driver, a truck and 10 bins, let's say. So that costs a bunch of money. You got to plan to do that. And, you know, if we don't have the money in the profits, then we're going to have to go find some funding. And so, you know, we'll do that with the software as a service company. It was, we've got cash in the bank. We're burning through it. Um, we're going to run out in, you know, nine months or six months, and then you've got to pivot or raise another round of funding. How do you get new business? Uh, networking. Um, I, that's how I met Diane, actually, is in a, something called Provisors. But yeah, I do a lot of networking, and people find people who need my services. And I, referrals, I, I would say, right? Say that again? You get referrals from networks. Referrals, yeah, referrals, referrals, right. And so I tried LinkedIn, but that uh, did not, that, that fell fat, flat on its face. And the flip side of that is, uh, have, there been, have there been times or is it something you're, you, would, you would consider a company does very, very well and wants you to join them full time? 
Uh, it would have to be really compelling. Um, I'm semi-retired now, so it would have to be like flexible time and uh, the pay would have to be worth it. And it would have to be a really good culture fit. I mean, if that's one thing I've learned is I don't want to work with people that I don't like. Uh, I want to work with people. I mean, time's short, you know, so I want to work with people who are fun to work with and we get along and you know, we're on an adventure together and growing and having fun with it. That, I feel the same way, and that's why I spend most of my time alone. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSP, and we'll be right back. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. I spend a lot of time in the backyard, and I'm the center of attention at summer barbecues. In 96, I made some of the tastiest s'mores you've ever had. In 01, we stayed up all night telling ghost stories with the neighbors. Yeah, I know I've got a bit of wear and tear. And sadly, in 09, it was me, your backyard fire pit that accidentally started a wildfire when a summer breeze carried one of my embers into some dry brush. Sparks from an improperly extinguished fire pit can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. So, Jerry, how do you feel that the current economic trends are affecting the growth of small businesses or the businesses that you're helping? Um, I, well, okay, so it, it has it well it's hurt one one of my customers recently but i mean lack of staffing uh especially when the government was paying that extra six hundred dollars a week for unemployment i mean i knew a number of people who i mean why work you know you're doing better on unemployment uh, my wife had a friend just tell her the other day she went to h&m to do some shopping and there was a sign in the window that said closed due to lack of staffing and i mean i know definitely restaurants have been hurt by that i've I've been to restaurants where you got plenty of seating. Yeah, but we don't have the staff. We don't have the wait staff to, to handle. So you got to wait. So, 
So, yeah. And I think, you know, something like the way dining, dining out costs have increased um, because of the lat, you know, because of the, the stuff they've had to deal with the, the, you know, the hardships, I think that increase can help in the long run, maybe, <clears throat> you know, if things pull out or they learn how to, to keep going. And now we're all used to paying more to eat out. Uh, it could help the, the restaurants. Uh, definitely there's been a flood in the market. Um, I remember a few years ago when the company I was with sold out to a PE firm, we were getting offers like every week to buy the company, you know, or, or to look into buying the company. We had to pick between 30 different potential buyers uh, to narrow down the field to like the top three and then finally settle on the top one, um, you know, before that PE firm took over. So do you think the low interest rates are having software companies actually do debt financing more than, than equity raises? Or are you, are you seeing that it's not really having an effect? No, it's still equity raises. The nice thing about equity is you don't have to pay it back, <laughs> but I mean, you give up a big, a big chunk of money and, you know, as you get the subsequent rounds, the, the earlier guys don't want to give up uh, as much or create more, um, you know, more stocks. But yeah, it's it's still equity. I mean, for the you know, bank financing is cheaper, but you have to pay it back. So you've got to be stable and have the means to pay it back. There's some um, there's some interesting ways to finance. This might be helpful for some small businesses out there. Um, you know, even though uh, banks may not be able to to provide funding if you don't have the means to pay back or the assets or what have you, uh, there's some other some other things that you can do. Like for instance, one of the, one of the companies I work for found um, a recycling loan. So I told you we did dumpster bin. We did a lot of recycling to go along with that. And the state of California had a program uh, that was cheaper than bank financing. If you could prove that, or if you could um, show that you can divert a certain amount of tonnage away from uh, the landfills. So we put together a plan and went through all the, the hoops that you have to go through. It was a big process, but we got a, you know, $500,000 in financing. And you guys remember the, the $6 million man? They called me the half a million dollar man. <laughs> it was a big project, but we got it. We got the funding and, you know, we, we diverted the tonnage and it was, it was a great thing. Recently, I heard about Ventura County offering grants to uh, hairdressers. So, I mean, grants, that's free money. It takes some work to get it. Um, a guy like me could help help get that sort of thing. Um, I, there's some other interesting funding things like, you know, you can factor, uh, um, borrow against your receivables. In the software, and software as a service company, we had American Express come to us and say, hey, we will loan you money based on your monthly credit card processing. So we were doing over $300,000 a month in credit card processing, probably 750 different customers with small amounts. And so American Express said, hey, that's pretty stable money. It came in all different times during the month. So what they, so what they said was, we'll loan you this money at this, it was a good interest rate. Um, and the way that they took repayments was you would agree that they would debit directly from your checking account an amount every business day of the year for that year. So 250 business days, banking business days in a year, let's say they loan 250,000, they would take $1,000 a day out of your bank account 
and that's you know that was an interesting setup that really helped us out. Um, you can loan against real estate. I just met somebody recently that does that. I think that's I don't know. Hopefully that's helpful. So now, what advice would you have for a small business that's listening and kind of at teetering on that point of of needing some CFO help? What what would you say? What are like the three factors that would make that make you say you actually need to hire a fractional CFO? Um, it would be you've got something good going. You know, like there's there's decent amount of growth that uh, shows a need that you know you've got to have a plan in order to continue the growth. Uh, I would say the other thing is um, you don't have the person in place, you know, you might have somebody that's doing some accounting, but not uh, high level. It doesn't look at the risk, the risks that you would run into, uh, or you need financing. Uh, you need to get a loan from either bank or one some other source, and you're going to need um, some kind of numbers to be able to show that are reasonable, and and also, you know, be able to talk through what happens if you know this or that. I mean, you get asked a lot of questions from anybody that's going to loan you money. Uh, does that answer your question? Yes. Yes, it does. And so what strategies do you recommend that businesses implement to encourage more growth? If that's what they're uh, after. Um, yeah, I guess there's a lot of things and it depends on if you have funding in place already, you know, like um, companies I've worked with that have funding, you just got to figure out how fast can you grow? So you got to remove the barriers to entry. So, uh, you know, you can offer a freemium, like, uh, let's say Wix, you know, hey, you can build your website for free. Um, but yeah, you don't want those those ads. So then you buy up once you get used to it. Um, you know, so you can start with freemium. We we did that. We tried uh, offering uh, a, a version of the software that you could access from your cell phone. Uh, this was for uh, inspections, vehicle inspections, digital vehicle inspections for auto repair shops. It didn't go over very well. We thought the technicians would would take it by storm, you know, and per, um, convince all their owners and service advisors that it was a good thing. It didn't work out. Um, we we also tried al alternate alternative channels, like we got a parts supplier to partner with us, and they paid for the software, and then they could offer it to their customers, who could use our software to increase their auto repair sales. And then they, the benefit to them, oops, sorry, the benefit to them was they would, um, they would have increased sales from their customers, uh, part sales. So that's another thing. Um, focus so on a niche would be another good uh, strategy, uh, something mm -hmm. that, that, or add services or features that the competition doesn't have, of course. Um, oh, another way is you have customers. What can you add that your customers would also pay for? That's another good strategy. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back with our final segment.
For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. 52 years ago this month, the first connection was made on what would become the Internet, linking computers at UCLA and Stanford, part of a Defense Department program called ARPANET. Within a year, 10 sites were connected. In 1972, the now universal symbol for AT was selected to facilitate email. Today, 93% of households have computers and about 88% have access to the Internet. Profile America is a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Welcome back to Money Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So Jerry, when you come into a, a new um, company and you're reviewing their balance sheet and their profit and losses, when you do find uh, areas of difficulty that the company needs to work towards, you know, how do you present it in a constructive way to the client so that, you know, that they know that you're on their, their, their side, but that you can clean it up so that it's, it's in, um, it's in compliance. Well, I mean, you know, you've got to point out where it's going wrong. Uh, and, and then of course, I mean, if I'm going to point out something that needs help, I'm going to also talk about what would be the fix for that or some possible solutions. Um, and that's, and it's good if uh, if somebody gets defensive about where they are or what their financial statements are showing. Sometimes there's things that you know I hadn't thought about, um, and there's definitely a difference between preparing gap financials and and looking at financials um, from a from a management perspective. So, you know, the manage from the management side of thing, uh, man- management for accounting is going to look at what KPIs do I want to see? What things do I want to see in the financials that will help me with my business? So I find out some, I find some pretty fun things there that I wasn't looking for. Um, but I'll, I'll always at least get that dialogue going, even if they disagree uh, with what I'm saying, what I'm proposing, I would ask them like, well, what do you think is the answer? And then we'll start working on it. I'll get some projections together. We'll start the discussion about how to 
grow the business, how to increase profitability, how to look at unit economics, or let's say one um, line of uh, services or one product line, and is that more profitable than the others? I mean, you might have a really profitable um, service that you're providing, but there's not a big market for it. And the bulk of the market is a much lower profit margin. You have to do both. Um, you got to plan them and figure out, you know, where are the efficiencies that you can gain? But something I learned a few years ago, uh, I was uh, I was working with a CEO who was an engineer. He was a software uh, designer, uh, software engineer, and I would I would come to him with presentation with uh, of all the financials and the model, you know, like you know month by month over spread out over the next couple of years and it always ended up being like this catastrophe you know oh this isn't right or you missed that thing or what about this and he you know we'd get in the minutiae and it was terrible uh i was talking to a neighbor we were just going for a walk and he said well why are you presenting the model why don't you just present a few slides and i was like well that that doesn't sound right you got to have all the details but i thought i'll give it a try i mean it might make sense so instead of so the next time we got together instead of you know presenting my financial model that I can drill down I just went with four slides with some colorful graphs it went great <laughs> like that CEO is just like this is awesome this is great you know and we moved on I walked out of that meeting and I thought oh my goodness I wish I'd learned this years ago I mean, how many times did I go in front of a board with all the financials and you know get just stuck <laughs> in the weeds if there's a software for service or a software company out there listening that's looking to um, hire a fractional CFO, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, probably email jerry at lucerascfo.com or I'm on LinkedIn uh, or they can ask you. <laughs> well, thank you. Th thank you so much, Jerry. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB and we'll see you all next week. It's 3.30.